there's so many things that can go wrong. I've seen so many people buy because they have the money, like like the the deals we just bought. They had the money. It was a group of doctors. They had the money. They buy this big deal, but they don't know what to do with it after. So you really got to know your stuff, and uh, not just because you got the money to throw at it, because you don't want to come out, you know, on the losing end of something like that. So you have to get educated. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's Aaron Fragnito, your host of the Passive Cash Flow Podcast. We're back here with another episode. We have a guest named Edna Keep. Say hello, Edna. Hi, guys. How are you? Doing great, doing great, Edna. I'm really glad we have you on the show here. You seem like a ball of energy, and your stats, you, the numbers you're putting on the board are really impressive as an investor. So, uh, what, what do you do, Edna? Well, uh, primarily nowadays, I coach and train people to do what we do, uh, but we also are still active in the game. We still buy real estate. Uh, we own primarily multifamily, although we did start out in the single family space like most people do. Um, we have 778 doors and always looking, uh, mostly in Canada, but our last 260 doors were in the in the U.S., in Memphis, actually. And uh, yeah, my passion is just helping other people get in the game. You know, we've uh, we've done well, and we're we're in our give back phase of our life. Good, good. I love that. I love that so much. It's nothing like being able to give back, and that's really the best feeling in the world. It's, that's why we do this, after all. It's why we try to build our wealth at the end of the day, right? It is. And, you know, sometimes people will ask, and I think you probably get the same thing. Well, you know, why, if you're doing so well, why do you want to stop and train other people? It's, I think it's a natural progression. You know, you just kind of want to share what you learned and, and some of the hardships you went through too to help other people avoid some of that stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Plus, after a while, 770 units, you know, you kind of want a little change of pace from your daily. <laughs> <laughs> I'm up to about 120 and there's certain days I'm like, boy, <laughs> real estate investing is a lot of work. You know, you really got to have be committed every single day, a lot of long hours. So absolutely. But so anyway, someone listening is going to say 770 units. I own a two family and a four family and um, uh, it's a lot of work. How do I possibly get to 770 units? That doesn't sound realistic. And yeah. how do you someone do something like that? Well, the first thing is you have to let it, let go of some of the control. Like I don't do everything. We, my specialty is kind of the raising capital side of it. Uh, I don't get into the trenches. I don't even, I seldom even look at the properties. I have partners that do that sort of stuff for me. I will help with the financing, getting all the money in place, not just the private financing, but also the, the lender working with the, with the institution lending and stuff like that too. So those are my roles. And then once the, once we have the building and maybe optimized it, for the first year, really don't have much to do with the buildings. After that, we work a lot with managing partners and uh, and property managers, and we have renovation teams and all that sort of stuff too. So uh, the biggest thing is is not feeling like you got to be the one who does everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I, I've definitely made that mistake as a business owner of trying to just have too much control or just trying to do everything to save a buck as well, which kind of ends up costing you more money a lot of yeah. times. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's so funny. People might hear, well, oh, you don't go out to the property or you don't get on a plane. And, well, you know, really, you, you want to hire professionals for a lot of these things, right? I mean, I've seen home inspection reports on the apartment buildings we buy. And I'm not capable of creating one of those reports. No, me neither. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I know how to read them really good, but uh, yeah, I'm not going to create them. Right. I mean, I get halfway through and I start to glaze over. You know? <laughs> they're, they're long. There's a lot of information. You know, you have to kind of pick out what's of value, what's just a normal rigmarole of depreciation on a building. Um, but you know that it's it's important to have those professionals in place to give you those reports, and yes. then you know we kind of act a little bit as a gatekeeper in a sense, and just reviewing everything and deciding you know what's what's important, what we need to for, do further due diligence on, and and um, so you kind of feel you feel like that sometimes in a sense. Yeah, and and you know I I see where a lot of people when they're attempting to scale where they get stuck too because. They feel like they have to do that all themselves. And you know what? It comes naturally. You know, you buy your own house. You do. You may walk through with the inspector. If if you get an inspection, then the next property is a rental. Well, it's the same sort of thing. But with multifamily like we um, like we deal with, those reports are mandatory for your lender. They don't even care if you've walked through the building. They want to know the building condition report is done by uh, a professional, that the environmental is done by a professional, and not something that you said anyway they're not going to just they're not going to give you any credit for it anyway so you got to hire the professionals uh, use them for their knowledge oh yeah absolutely absolutely and you know it's it's uh, also when you get local professionals they know a lot more if you're buying in an area maybe that you're not familiar buying in or just a new market it's working with local professionals can be priceless yes absolutely got to build your boots on the ground wherever you happen to be investing yeah yeah, absolutely. And um, so that that's a good uh, strategy. So what is uh, your investment strategy as far as the types of real estate you focus on owning and purchasing? Well, you know, we've kind of done everything. You know, there's sometimes uh, that it just makes sense to buy a turnkey property where you just walk in, take over, and you start managing it from day one. You got cash flow from day one, that sort of thing. But our biggest home runs have actually been when we've done the burst strategy, where we've went in and uh, you know maybe taken a, a property that's got some vacancy, uh, has been underperforming, and needs some updating and renovations to bring it up to even uh, current market rents, and because I find a lot of times what happens is landlords get tired, you know, after they've been at it for a while, it's like, yeah, I don't want to deal with that. Don't want to deal with that. And then pretty soon their building gets run down and that gives you some really good opportunities to buy. Um, the ones we just bought in, in Memphis, that was exactly what happened. Like they had hired property management, expected that property management would look after everything, but mm-hmm. they don't. We got to oversee all that, right? Yeah. And um, and then got themselves in a bit of a pickle with lots of vacancy and, and hadn't really kept up the you know all the renovations and stuff like that so that's that's how you get some really good deals sometimes so those are our favorite oh yeah absolutely value add properties you know seth and i we we do the same thing we look for both we like those turnkey properties we bought a 25 unit uh last uh, quarter actually last year the end of last, last quarter of last year and that was really a nice turnkey property that's producing better than targeted and and those are nice uh, assets to own um, however, we are also buying now a 27 unit. We like these types of buildings. We bought plenty of them and putting another $330,000 into it. Yeah. Rents 30% below market value. You know, it's two blocks to the New Jersey Transit train station that gets you into Manhattan in 45 minutes. It's a gold mine location, but the, the owner just kind of f- forgot to manage the building properly for the last yeah. five or 10 years. And yeah. So, you know, those diamonds in the rough, much harder to find these days than they were a few years ago. But when we do, we try to strike on them pretty quickly. 
Well, in some owners, one one of my students just recently, she bought an, uh, it was a nine unit building and seven of the nine units were vacant. Mm -hmm. And after talking to the son, uh, she found out that the parents had actually owned the building probably way longer than they should have. They were in a nursing home. Mm -hmm. uh, So it got left to the son to look after. He had no interest whatsoever, except for how fast can I get rid of this? And she found out after the fact that they, they had actually developed dementia. So their last uh, few rent checks, they had not even deposited them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so you cannot manage a building like that. And so it was worth way less than it should have been had they maybe sold it uh, five or 10 years prior to ending up in this nursing home. But yeah. the the son just wasn't interested. He was in Vancouver. These guys were in Toronto and um, yeah, it just got left too long, but you know, she ended up with an amazing opportunity, bought it for 1.1, put in 200,000, refinanced it at 1.85 and uh, increased the rents that the old owners had had the average rent around 800, the two that were left and increased the rents to 1,850 bucks a month. So she cash flows up one little nine unit property, 5500 bucks a month. Wow. With all my own money out of it. Yeah. (laughs) So it still happened. That just, that was maybe, I think she financed it in April. So it just happened. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. The buy, renovate, refinance strategy is just amazing. And, you know, I just feel like it's gotten harder and harder as the market gets higher and higher. Are you seeing that in the Canadian markets you work in? In certain areas, yes. Like uh, like we see a lot of um, money uh, that people have made just even in their own personal homes in uh, Toronto and Vancouver areas, especially. Mm-hmm. And they just, there's nothing that they can buy that would cash flow, make them any money. So they're starting to look outside their their cities and they're, they're you know, maybe looking more Northern areas or different parts of Canada to look mm-hmm. for actual cash flowing properties. So yeah, it's uh, the, it's in one sense, it's their homes have done really well. They've got all this equity built up, but they've got to make smarter decisions and get out of their, you know, their area and start looking at something. And, and, you know, with the stuff that we've bought in the U S you know, you just have to dig, you have to find, you have to look at the last bunch we bought 21, 600 a door, um, and then probably put in about 16,000 a door, but after repair value, it'll be around 60. And, and, you know, you can still find them, but you, you gotta be looking, you know, you mentioned before about uh, people doing too much of the work on their own. That's the other thing that I noticed when we took our training, we took it through the Robert Kiyosaki group and we had 18, um, in 18 months, we had 50 doors, cash flowing 5,000 a month. I think our net worth had increased like 800,000. And people would say to me, Anna, what'd you do? Like, what'd you do so different? We took the same courses. And I said, well, I I didn't step over dollars to pick up dimes. Like they, I found out most cases, what they were doing is property managing themselves to save uh, that hundred bucks, yeah. uh, doing the maintenance on the weekends to save that 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. And then after about four four doors, they were totally stuck because they were doing all that little stuff and they didn't even give themselves any mind space to mm-hmm. keep looking, keep finding the deals, keep looking. And, and that was the part that I noticed was what we did different from most people. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that's one of the biggest uh, challenges, you know, that that building up, building out of that place, right? Because I remember I bought my first five family in Newark, New Jersey for 135000 by the way, just appraised for six seventy five, dollars and we refinanced it. So yes, that's awesome. <laughs> put about uh, $50,000 of renovations into it. And this was uh, about 20, uh, 2011 or so, 2012. And and uh, just uh, really doing everything myself, you know, trying to, and then finally I hired a management company, but they really didn't care all that much about my property. We're actually quite disorganized themselves. And so I had a lot of challenges there also along the way. And it took till we got to about 75 doors to really develop our own management company because we all, we buy local here in North Jersey. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. everything's within about an hour of our office. So we're able to manage in-house. Um, but management of real estate, boy, is that probably one of the hardest parts of the probably the hardest part of this business is well too we get it you know if you're dealing with your property Mm -hmm. you're also emotionally involved whereas Mm -hmm. a property manager isn't it's just Mm -hmm. it's their job and they're they're kind of our liaison i know uh at one point my oldest daughter was our property manager we we did like you guys did we just brought did did our in-house stuff Mm -hmm. but um she would bring me some of the challenges and oh i would just get mad how could that happen you know get them out of there Mm -hmm. and finally i just learned to say you know what just send me the bill. Don't tell me the story that goes with it. Because it right. would just make That's me my mad. attitude. <laughs> you, you can't get emotionally involved. You, you, know? can't. you have to do the best job you can do with property management or managing property management. Of course, I'm not running around knocking on the doors. We have staff in place, but it's just, it's constant problem solving, right? And, and constant system, setting up systems, checking your systems, trust, but verify, yeah. Um, contractors always trying to pull a fast so one. Yeah. <laughs> the last meeting I had was a contractor. We just you know had to let go because they're constantly, constantly trying to trick us into paying them more money. Like we, my my wife just and I just uh, had a baby and we were out of town for two weeks. Right. And the first thing this contractor did was send us uh, pictures and trying to trick us into giving him payments for jobs he didn't do. And it was just really shows your true colors. You can step out of town for a couple of weeks, you know? Mm-hmm. And you know, the thing is they're short-term thinkers. That never works long-term, does it? No, no, no it's a shame. Yeah, we were doing a lot of business, but um, you know, just one of the challenges of working with service providers and uh, managing properties. And, you know, we're developing uh, new holdings in Southern Vermont right now. Uh, hotels here, my wife owns a short-term management uh, company and, and uh, People's Capital Group is buying the properties up here. And and it's very exciting stuff. And my business partner manages our New Jersey operations, New Jersey buildings. But one of the reasons we moved up here is because it was so hard to find deals in New Jersey. So we're, we're definitely in that boat of moving out of a very congested uh, competitive mm-hmm. market, right? Moving out to the, the suburb or the rural market. So you see people doing that in, in your courses and, and just fellow investors as well? Yeah, absolutely. Because it doesn't always make sense. You know, I had someone reach out to me the other day and she said, you know, Edna, my building, my 12 unit building has been valued at two and a half million dollars, but I can't get, I can't even refinance it. I can't even get one and a half million on it. I got a, I think she had a 600,000 mortgage. They might've moved it up to a million. And I said, that's because there's no cash flow. There's nothing to give the real value to the building. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. And now, uh, you know, you never want to buy for negative cash flow, at least a personal rule of mine. Oh, is, not me too. <laughs> but I mean, these people buying in Manhattan for like negative cap rates just doesn't make sense to me. And 
I think a lot of them lost their shirt in the last uh, few years as well. Class A real estate. Yeah, that's not a long term plan. I've seen people, uh, you know, like that one student of mine that bought the the nine unit that seven were vacant. Um, But it was a very short term, like within six months, like she was turning this property, added a tenant, turned this one, added a tenant. So it wasn't a long term uh, project. There was a plan in place to make sure it was going to cash flow. And it did. She had an after after repair value uh, evaluation uh, based on rent and uh, and the uh, renovations. And, And so she knew going in what it need what needed to happen. And then that's exactly what did happen. Yep. You got to know your numbers. I was just talking to an investor the other day and, you know, they didn't understand that when you go to refinance the property, it has to make a certain cash flow to get that mortgage. Right. Even get financing, was, yes. Yeah, yeah. Buy, renovate, and just like get it rented out as quickly as possible and then refinance. And no, you really actually need to renovate the right way, lease up the right way, get top dollar, take your time. It's probably not going to be done in a, in a year if it's a larger size building. In fact, more like two and a half years for any decent sized building and mm-hmm. uh, is a good yeah. timeline to really reposition it properly. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're seeing that, um, you know, the rents do remain strong right now and, and our markets are, are strong here in, in North Jersey. Now, you're investing primarily in, in southern markets. Is that what I understand? Well, uh, the last two purchases we made were in Memphis, Tennessee, mm-hmm. and uh, we're looking actually in uh, Jacksonville, Florida right now and Memphis. We're still uh, focusing on Memphis. Um, and But we, we really look any place where it's a landlord friendly state, first of all, and then uh, and then also where the numbers work um, and, and not just the numbers, but that there's good potential for the area to stay long-term. We're also not scared of smaller markets. Like some people like to stick with the bigger markets. Uh, we found some of our best cash flowing properties in some smaller uh, areas. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, if it's on the headline of CNBC, then it's too late, in my opinion. Yeah, it's so true. So true. Yeah. Right. You really want the secondary markets. I'm a big fan of secondary markets. Uh, We don't invest in Manhattan or the boroughs of Manhattan. We do smaller cities that play off that metropolitan market here. And, uh, you know, so we, we see a lot of value there, but, you know, the South is great for cash flow. Uh, you know, the, it's harder in, in North Jersey and things like that, the cash flow, we really buy for equity growth over time with the buy, renovate, refinance strategy. But, you know, the hotels are good for cash flow and the apartment buildings do cash flow over time. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's always a nice thing to see. Yeah. And, um, so now you're also on the coaching and training side. Just talk to me a little bit about how you work with new real estate investors, people looking to learn more. Well, generally, uh, people come to me when they've maybe bought a few houses or, and they already know that they definitely want to scale their real estate business. And so I showed them how to get into multifamily. Uh, we use a lot of investor capital to do that. And uh, mostly I help them buy the first two, three buildings because once I find that they once they understand the system I've set up, then they can just rinse and repeat and do it again and again in whatever market they choose to. Because the way that I set up the system is you can plug and play it anywhere. You know, you got to start with your power team wherever you are. And so there's a system to getting those right in place. You got to have your lenders in place and then you got to have your property managers, all that kind of stuff. So it's really building that power team and understanding where to buy, why you're buying, how to analyze the property, how to find the right deals and stuff like that. And then, um, yeah, and then so there, there's a training component. There's a networking component because I find that sometimes I've got uh, people in my group who've got the money but can't find the deal. 
mm-hmm. and vice versa. So they partner up. And then um, uh, the coaching comes one-on-one when they're actually working on a live deal because mm-hmm. the first one or two are the hardest. And uh, then I make myself available for, for later on if once they get established, they're buying their first hundred unit. Well, there's just a few different things you got to think about. Some of it just a mindset. When we add one more zero, what does that mean? You know, <laughs> and scary. so uh, brainstorming and helping people just through that challenges of uh, of just the whole growth part that comes with becoming a multimillionaire real estate investor. Yeah, absolutely. That's very interesting. So, how can people connect with you and learn more about your program? You see the, my name behind my behind my head. That's my website, ednakeep.com. Okay. And my uh, my email address is also Edna at ednakeep.com. And what I recommend to people, if they want to reach out to me, I have a 25-minute webinar that I share with people that kind of gives them our background t- so I can tell my story and then uh, book a strategy call with me. It's something that interests you. You want to learn how to do this yourself because I know some of you're, you're dealing with a lot of people who just want to be passive investors and invest with you. Uh, but for people that say, hey, I want to be like you, I want to be like the errands <laughs> of the world. Yeah, that's what I do. Then I teach people how they can do that themselves. And you know, Aaron, I find that some people, they think they want to do it. Then they realize how much work it is and they go, no, I think I'd rather just be the passive <laughs> investor. <laughs> no, I was just going to say that actually. took the words out of my mouth. I, yeah. I have the conversation all the time with people and I tell them, I'm like, okay, here's what I do day in and day out. And here's yeah. the steps you need to take. Yeah, <laughs> Generally by the end of the phone call, like, so what am I going to make if I just invest with you again? I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> And there's yeah. just a learning curve, you know, with any of that kind of stuff that you take yeah. on on your own. Uh, but still, there's a bunch of us crazy ones that want to oh. do that, right? We want to Boy. do it on our own and we want to be the the one in charge and the one running things. And that's okay, yeah. too. There's room for everybody. Once they say heavy is the head that wears the crown, right? So exactly. Then, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I just had a newborn baby, as I told you. I was like, oh, you're going to have sleepless nights. I'm like, buddy, I've been running a real estate syndicate for 10 years. I know sleepless nights. I'm up anyway at three in the morning with them. Now we can hang it. Now I have a friend to hang out with at least, right? That's yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, no, just in the beginning, just getting started right now. You get up to uh, the first million is the hardest, right? <laughs> the first one's the hardest. And then, yeah, yeah. then, like I said, once you get a system in place, then it's rinse and repeat. That doesn't mean it's passive, though, mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, you don't want to be one of those owners that ends up selling us a property because you didn't look after things and you think the property manager is going to do everything because they're not. You got to be on top, like you just said. You got to be top on top of your renovation guys. You got to be on top of your property managers. So it's never really passive on our side of the fence. Oh, of course not. No, no, no. Being the operator is far from passive, quite the opposite. Yeah. That's interesting. No, and it's been great speaking with you. I've definitely learned a lot about your side of the business here and how you help real estate investors. And uh, hopefully our guests were able to learn a lot as well. Our listeners were able to learn a lot as well. Before we go, what is uh, just lesson you've learned, the biggest lesson you've learned in real estate that you can advise other real estate investors on? You know what? Educate yourself because um, there there's so many things that can go wrong. I've seen so many people buy because they have the money, like like the the deals we just bought. They had the money. It was a group of doctors. They had the money. They buy this big deal, but they don't know what to do with it after. So you really got to know your stuff, and uh, not just because you got the money to throw at it. Because you don't want to come out, you know, on the losing end of something like that. So you have to get educated. And the other thing is get around like minded people. You know what? 
Uh, and this happened to one of my students just recently. He was telling me, he had, and I was having a conversation with one of my fellow workers, and he said to me, oh, why are you getting into multifamily? And what do you mean using other people's money? Why don't you just use your own money and just buy a house? And um, I said, okay, well, uh, he's, I said, does, does he own real estate? And he said, no. And I said, well, what, what's your thoughts on that? What, what, do you, what are you thinking? And he said, no, I want to own real estate. And I said, well, then you got to take your advice from people who own real estate, not <laughs> from people who don't. And, and he said, yeah, you know, come to think of it. That guy doesn't even have a furnace in his house. And I go, and you're wanting to take advice from him? Like, hello. And he goes, well, I think he's just being kind. I go, he's not being kind. He's being an ass. He does yeah. not know. You've right. got to deal with people who know and people who've done it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's all theory. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. I got so many stories of people that take financial advice from broke people. Just the biggest mistakes. I know, one makes, I right? know. <laughs> makes sense to me, but you know, that's, uh, that's what happens sometimes. And it's our job to try to stop people from doing that and show them uh, really how to build wealth. So hopefully we can do that. Uh, and that's always the goal. So thank you, Edna, for your time. And again, our listeners, I'm Aaron Fragnito with the Passive Cashflow Podcast here. Thanks for listening. Check out our other 60 plus episodes and you can learn more at peoplescapitalgroup.com. I'm co-owner of People's Capital Group where Seth Martinez and our management company, we buy, own, reposition and refinance apartment buildings in New Jersey and hotels in Southern Vermont. So check us out at peoplescapitalgroup.com and you can connect with Edna at ednakeep.com as well. And we'll put her uh, link there in the show notes so you can connect with Edna. Thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks so much for having me here and it was my pleasure. Have a good one.